Alright, so if you guys have your hand out for the last couple of weeks, why don't you go ahead and pull that out and then flip it over so we can test you and see what we remember from last week. Oh, why not? Test, never fun, right? What are the names of Christ that we've gone over for the last two weeks? We spent probably more time than we have time to do. That's okay, because we're talking about the infinite God of the universe. So, what are the names of Christ we've been going over? Jesus? Jesus. Oh, probably not. It's the order, I suppose. <laughs> what does Jesus mean? Anybody remember? Jehovah's God saves. Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. Good. Son of man. Son of man. All right. What is unique about that name or title of Christ? There's only one. There's only one? He's the only one. Ezekiel, right? Called himself Son of Man. But, yeah, he is the, the unique Son of Man in that sense. Um, what else is unique about the Son of Man and what we learned about that title, the Son of Man. It was Jesus' most used term for himself. Yeah, his favorite title. Yeah. And why did we surmise that was his favorite title? Expressed his humanity. Yeah. And well, there are also more times in the Gospels than any other self-designation. Yeah, he uses that, that term, that phrase more often than anything else. Um, Christ is the most often used of him by others and while it does speak to his humanity it has veiled aspects of his deity as well going back to Daniel 7 talking about how the son of man is going to come for the, the ancient days but it's not an overt statement of, of deity um, like some of the, the other titles might be what are the other titles we've talked about Son of God. Son of God. That's a little bit more in your face, right? Uh, remember that when he used that title of himself, the Jews picked up stones to stone him because they understood what he was saying. Um, he was claiming equality with God. What about Alpha and Omega? We kind of rushed through that one a little bit at the end of our class last week. But first and the last. Yeah, first and the last. And son that's of a, Son of David. Yeah, we talked about that too. And going back to 2 Samuel 7 and the promise that God made to David that he would have a king to sit on his throne forever. Um, Messiah? Yeah, Messiah. Uh, or Christ, right? Again, that's the most popular name that was used of him by, by other people. And then we also talked about firstborn. That means that he was the first created one, right? No. no. What? Yeah. Oh. Wait, way to shut me up a little bit quicker next time, but <laughs> yes, he was not the first created one. What does that title tell us? Preeminent. Preeminent. Mm -hmm. right. Privilege and authority. Yep. He is above all, right? He is first place, preeminent one. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to look at some Old Testament uh, pictures and appearances of Christ. Uh, he is all over in Hebrew scriptures. We're going to look at Christophanies, types, and prophecies about Christ. So it should be fun getting into the, the Old Testament and seeing how we can see Jesus there. A Christophany. Anybody know off the top of their head what a Christophany is? It is an Old Testament 
parents of Jesus Christ. All right, boy. So we have a definition here. Uh, it's a, a unique pre-incarnate appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Um, Jesus showing up before he was born to Mary. So the incarnation took place at a sp- specific point in time, but we know that Jesus is God, right? One of the attributes that we learned about God is his eternality. So to say that Jesus came into existence at a certain point in time would be heretical. Uh, he wasn't born in the sense that he was created. He wasn't born in the sense that he um, took on some kind of um, being in that particular point in time. But his being is eternal. He took on flesh at the incarnation. So next week we're going to get into, or over the next couple of weeks, we'll get into the hypostatic union, talking about his humanity and his deity and um, aspects of how those two work together. These are important, uh, that is Christophanies are important because they reveal pre-existence, consistency in the person of Jesus Christ. The fact that he, again, didn't come into existence at the incarnation. So he's always been, he's always been the same. Yep. He didn't change his personhood when he was born um, in any way except that he took on physicality. Yep. It is subtraction by addition, um, that humiliation um, to look, we're going to look today at Philippians chapter 2 and how he is um, the epitome of humility. And we need to humble ourselves just as he did, who, being in the very form of God, didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. All right, so let's split up these different passages and look at some of these Christophanies in the Old Testament. I'm not sure that we're going to get through all of them, but um, could I get somebody to look up those Genesis passages, please? One person to get both chapter 16 and chapter 22. Who can grab those for us? All right, Jerry's got those. Andy, will you get Numbers 22? Yes, sir. And Isaiah 6. You can grab that. All right. Jeremy, you get that one. Um, Jim, why don't you grab John 12, 41 to go along with that. And then Daniel 3 and 6. Um, Jerry Carroll, will you grab those? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Go for it. Yeah. I just picked a few so we can bounce around. Does this lesson get into the angle of the word? Yes. All right, sounds good. Um, all right, who had Genesis? Was that Jerry? All right, will you go ahead and read that first passage for us? And let's look at um, certain terminology. We're going to be hearing about the angel of the Lord. And we need to recognize that that is speaking about Jesus. How many angels are there? Myriads. Myriads, right? Which means... A lot. Tons of angels. And so when the Old Testament speaks about the angel of the Lord, we should take note, right? There's something unique there, something different. Not just an angel of the Lord, not just one of many, um, not even an archangel, but it's speaking of the angel of the Lord. So it's, it's unique and different. So as Jerry's reading and we look at the rest of these passages, let's uh, take note about what the text says about the angel of the Lord. Now the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? 
And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord and spoke to her, You are a God who sees. For she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? All right. So several things in that passage. What do we note about the angel of the Lord? Speaking with absolute authority about the future. Yeah, it says, I will greatly multiply you, right? Your descendants. So there'll be too many to count. That's speaking with authority. What else? What is the response? She acknowledges him as being God. She's surprised she's still alive. Yeah. Can I even stand here? Can I even remain after being in your presence? And that was something that was common for being in the presence of God. We'll see here in a minute in Isaiah 6. Um, you stand before the, the Lord, and it's not something flippant. People today talk about experiences with God. Oh, yeah, I saw God. And, um, you know, it was just kind of a cavalier experience. And, and then I, I went to sleep after that. And like, no, when people in the scripture see the Lord, they fall down on their face and they realize their, their sinfulness and the absolute holiness of God. Um, yeah. Anything else in that passage about the angel of the Lord? Well, we assume that the definite article is there, the angel, in the Hebrew. Yeah. Yep. All right. And then we flip over to chapter 22 and read that for us as well, Jerry. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. All right, what do we see in that passage? By myself. By myself. Uh, Hebrews 6, 13 and 14 says, For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. He couldn't swear by anybody greater than himself because he is the, the Almighty, the transcendent one. What else do we see in that passage? Again, I will do things. Absolutely. Yeah. His omnipotence, right? He is all powerful. Um, he is the one who is commanding the everything. He's commanding the nations, the kings, the sea. Um, all things are in his hand. 
at his command. All right, Numbers 22. Numbers 22. But God was angry because he was going, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. Now he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, the donkey turned off from the way and went into the field. But Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the way. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path of the vineyards, with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself to the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right hand or the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with a stick. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Then Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a mockery of me, if there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. <laughs> the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed all the way to the ground. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out as an adversary, because your way was contrary to me. But the donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, I would surely have killed you just now, and let her live. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing in the way against me. Now then, if it is displeasing to you, I will turn back. But the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, and you shall speak only the word which I tell you. So Balaam went along with the leaders of Balak. All right. Once again, we see the absolute authority of the angel of the Lord. Um, he's one who's in control. He's one who's calling the shots. Any other observations from that passage? That's quite an observation, Jerry. The Lord controls. You are voice. right. What's that? The Lord controls something unique going on, right? Right. And Balaam, originally, he didn't take note. It was a donkey who saw the angel of the Lord, right? And then the angel of the Lord made himself appear to, to Balaam. So there's some kind of something different going on, right? Um, talking about the, the physical nature of the angel of the Lord. Um, not quite visible and sometimes, and then he made himself to be visible, so definitely something unique and, and supernatural going on there. 
All right. Um, Isaiah 6. Who's got that? All right. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Amen. Who was sitting on the throne in verse 1? The Lord. The Lord, the Lord was sitting on the throne. And, Jamie, you have that next passage in John 12, right? 12, 41. Yeah. Before you read that, why don't you tell us about the, the throne of the Lord? You were talking about that the other day in our Bible study. Oh, the train? Yeah. It, it was a custom of the kings, whenever they conquered another king, to take his robe and sew it on the bottom of their robe. And so, when Christ, when it says his train filled the temple that was a symbol of all the kings who he had conquered or was under him yep. he had authority over that reminds us of a, another name of Christ right king of kings and lord of lords yeah. he is absolutely over all alright go ahead and read that verse or John 12 41 these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him uh, why don't you go back and read 40. Um, I'm not in John, but give us a little bit of context so we know okay. who's being referred to there. I'll start back at uh, 38. The word, the word of Isaiah the prophet not be fulfilled which he spoke. The Lord who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. Therefore they could not believe because... Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw the glory, saw his glory, and spoke of him. All right. Even looking up a little bit farther in verse 35 says, So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. And then he goes on to rebuke them for living in darkness and for for being blind, for not seeing, not recognizing. And he says that he was the one that was seen by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Um, we know about God, that he is the spirit. We worship him in spirit and in truth, right, from John 4. Um, he, he doesn't have a physical body. That's what's unique about the, the person and nature of God. He isn't bound by space and time as we are. He is omnipresent. But Jesus was the one who took on flesh. And he did that at, again, a specific point in time at the incarnation. That's why this is considered a Christophany because it took place before the incarnation, but Jesus was clearly identified here in John 12 as being the one who was sitting on the throne and Isaiah saw Jesus before he was even born. That's a trip. That's enough to uh, make your head spin a little bit and just make you be in awe of our, our God, that before he took on flesh, he was there in the flesh, outside of time, being God. And um, he was bowed down to by Isaiah. Isaiah realized who he was and fell on his face. Other thoughts on that? All right. Um, first Kings, who had that one? 
All right. No, right. In context, backing up. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down. Then, I'm sorry, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so we saw before that it was an angel of the Lord, and yeah. then we see that definite article later that it was the angel of the Lord uh, setting him apart. He is unique. Um, and again, we see in other other passages of the Old Testament um, aspects of his, his deity, that he um, has this ability to speak authoritatively, that he gives commands, he knows the future, he speaks as the Lord, um, that he's recognized as God, and people wonder, how can we even stand after being in his presence? All right, and then Daniel 3. Was that you, Jerry? Yeah. All right. Daniel 3, 28. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servant, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies, so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. All right. Maybe you can go back up to Sorry, what'd you say, Jerry? Do we need to go backwards and pick up something? Uh, yeah, that's fine. Um, why don't you jump over to 622 and grab that one as well. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, insomuch as I was found innocent before him. And also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. All right. Yeah, we see a few instances of uh, angels and the angel of the Lord in Daniel. So, good study. So again, Christophanies are Old Testament appearances of Jesus. Um, they're, they're unique and they're not always super clear, um, but they're fun to study and not always in a, a physical form, um, but sometimes veiled, I guess, like what we saw with, with Balaam. So fun stuff looking at Christophanes. Thoughts or questions on Christophanes? Another place, well, actually the... Yeah, it's not the first place. It's one of the earliest. Is at the uh, burning bush. Exodus three. We're look at that a little bit. That's uh, another place where the angel of the Lord spoke out of the fire. Yeah, yeah, and there he didn't even take on a a human type appearance, right? But it was still the angel of the Lord. No, there is a difference between pre-existence and eternality. Anybody want to try to parse that out? 
speaking of the pre-existence of Christ. Melissa. So are you saying the difference between Christ's existence and Christ's eternality? <laughs> Travis is going to give it a okay, shot. So here's, the, here's this thing I'm just going to throw this in here. So, pre existence would be that you just simply existed before. Eternality is you always, he, God always is. Yeah, so pre existence <laughs> is speaking to, so, to the fact that he existed before, um, looking back, and eternality um, is. Eternity, past, eternity, future, right? Okay. Without beginning, sure. without end. Um, which one of those two would you say is a, a stronger statement of Christ? That eternality. eternality, right? It's more encompassing than pre-existent. Not that he isn't pre-existent, but uh, he is both pre-existent and eternal. Yeah, there, are, there are groups you'll run into that affirm the first, but not the second. And so you got to be careful. They're just press them on it. Because... Mm-hmm. Anybody can affirm the first, but the second means he's God. Yeah. And there are groups that will do the opposite. They'll say that he wasn't pre-existing. He wasn't from eternity past, but he will be in eternity future. That he is without end, but not without beginning. Again, pointing back to the incarnation or uh, different sects and, and heretical groups have different points where they, where they will say, well, this is where he, he took on his existence, but he is from from beginning or from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. So pre-existence, Christ existed before all things, um, before all of creation, and then eternality, he has always been and always will be without beginning. Thoughts on that? Questions on that? I'll give you a second to jot that down. It can be easy for us to look at that and to write it down. Okay, well, that's what pre-existence means. That's what eternality means. But that should cause us to pause and to worship and to realize um, he didn't have anybody who was over him. Um, I love those passages in, in Job and in Psalms that says, who is the counselor to God? Who is the one who advises him? He has no advisor. He has no counselor. He has nobody who um, he needs to confer with to do what he does. But he is... Um, he is the almighty God who makes decisions on his own. Um, yeah, you can get into lots of things from there. We won't go that direction. All right. A type of Christ. Also called a shadow. Hebrews 8 and 10. Can we get somebody to look up those passages? If you raise your hand, Britt. Oh, Andy. Um, it's an imprint or a mold that will be fulfilled in the future. Types are fun and interesting, they're difficult. I think oftentimes people try to stretch scripture to make a type of Christ. There are people who look in the Old Testament and everywhere they look, they'll say, oh, well, that's a type of Christ. That's a picture of Christ or a shadow of Christ. And indeed, there are a bunch. Um, and there are some where maybe we can be on the fence, but we can't always be sure if something is a type. Um, types are like fireworks. They're fun and interesting, but they're also really dangerous. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it can be scary. You can get yourself into some trouble. Um, try to stretch things and make them a type. Um, oh, what this next thing said. Many were ambiguous to those living through them. The New Testament sheds light on some of them, and we can't always be dogmatic as to what is or is not a type of Christ. All right, here are some different types of Christ. Um, 
Aaron and the Aaronic priesthood, how do we know that that's a, a type or a picture or a shadow of Christ? Because it's described in Hebrews. All right, Hebrews. Hebrews gives us a lot of um, light as essential types of Christ. Um, that's what Hebrews is all about, right? How Jesus is better. And so we'll go through and we'll say, well, Jesus is better than uh, the Aaronic priesthood or the Melchizedekian priesthood or uh, Abraham and the law and the sacrifices, all these different things. And so that's where we get a lot of our understanding of these types. Um, he's Adam is a type of Christ. We see that clearly in Romans 5, that just as sin came into the world through one man, so death through sin, now death reigns because of what he did. But uh, life is offered through the, the second Adam or the last Adam. Uh, David, we looked at that last week, right? And the son of David. He's a, a type or a picture or shadow of Christ, pointing forward to Jesus. Boaz is a kinsman redeemer in Ruth. Um, Jesus is our ultimate redeemer. What? That one is nowhere in the New Testament. Yeah, it's not pointed out explicitly, right? So we can't be dogmatic on that. Yeah. And I'd say the same with Genesis 22. What is Genesis 22 about? Abraham Genesis 15. To sacrifice Isaac. Yeah. Genesis 15 is about uh, God's covenant with Abraham, right? And how Abraham believed, and then it's reiterated there in 22, where he sacrifices Isaac. And a lot of people want to point to Isaac and say that Isaac was a type of Christ. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm hard pressed to argue with that. Or Joseph, that Joseph was a type of Christ. But I would say out of Isaac and, and Joseph and Melchizedek, I'm most convinced that Melchizedek is a type of Christ because he's expressly stated to be a, a type of Christ in Hebrews. In the Genesis 22 account, the goat is a better type than Isaac is. Yeah, he's the, the sacrifice. For the ram. Uh, yeah. Yes. It was the one that was He's a substitute. Yep. And so, again, we can look in, in the Old Testament and we can see similarities and we can see, um, well, that, that looks a lot like Jesus in the New Testament. And, Jesus really is a central figure of all the scripture, right? There's one uh, continuous theme throughout scripture, and it's Christ pointing to the Redeemer, pointing to this son of David who's to come. Um, and, and then he's here, right, in the Gospels. And then in Acts, Acts is a history of the start of his church and, and what's happening with his bride. It's all about Jesus. He is um, the central figure. But that, again, doesn't mean that we should make stretches and tie things that aren't expressly stated there. Yes? So I just listened to a podcast, um, and the woman was saying, she said, like, so often we want to put ourselves in the story, like, where's the David, and we're finding our lives. And I agree with her that that's kind of the best stretch. But then she said, really, we should be putting Christ in all of those. And that also puts her in my mind. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Matt Chandler says, you're not David, right? And, and that's true. Um, we're not David, we're not Goliath, and we always want to put ourselves in scripture. We shouldn't do that. But to put Christ into every verse um, when he's not there is also a uh, poor example of how we should do hermeneutics, the 
the method of Bible study, right? That's not what we're looking to. Um, while we can make connections, um, we need to be careful how we do that. All right. Um, other thoughts on types or questions on types? You had Amy go to Hebrews to look up a couple verses. That's right. You're going to tell us about the shadows. Right. Um, so, uh, Hebrews 8, 5. Um, should I start at 4? Go for it. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For see, he says that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. So, what in that verse was the type of Christ? Or the shadow? Did you guys catch it? All right, I'll read it again. So Hebrews 8, 4, and 5. So listen for the copy or the shadow. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect a tabernacle. For see, he says that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. What do you think? This the sacrificial system all looks forward to Jesus being the final sacrifice and, and making us right before God. Yeah, the, the tabernacle, he's the, the sacrifice. He's also the sacrificer, right? The priest. Um, those who offer gifts according to the law, who serve as a copy, as a shadow of the heavenly things. Um, they are a picture of Jesus. And a lot of times, again, these cults and false religions kind of go astray because they don't recognize these things to be types or shadows of Christ. And so that's why we still have temples around, right? Because they didn't recognize, oh, the temple is a picture of Christ. Um, but instead, they want to erect the temple and, and act like, oh, we still have a need for a temple. We still have a need for all the sacrifices that go on in there and these baptisms that go on. Um, Christ was the fulfillment of that. The shadow is just a, a picture of the, the essence of the thing. Christ is the essence of the thing. He is um, the importance of what's really going on. Same with um, priests, right? He is our great high priest. We don't have need for, for priests or sacrifices. He was our fulfillment. He is the Sabbath. Isn't it kind of reemphasizing what is said earlier in Hebrews where it says that Christ is our great high priest. Because it says in chapter four. In four it says that he can't be a priest on earth where you're offering sacrifices according to the law. Yeah. Right? But that he's actually at the right hand of God, being that eternal sacrifice. Yeah, that's another thing about these types, is they all fall short. Yes, they're pointing to Jesus, but these high priests, they have to go in year after year and offer sacrifices for themselves because they're sinful. Um, it has to be done continually and repetitively, but he offered a sacrifice once for all, the just for the unjust. He is our perfect mediator. 
there's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And so these other mediators are just uh, a fallible, imperfect picture of the true mediator who was to come. But what, what Jeremy said earlier about the, the ram being the better picture, it's not just that he was the sacrifice. It was that he said God will provide for himself a sacrifice. Yep. And it's God's wrath that's being poured out on it's us. God's He's the one who demands that. God that propitiation. Yeah, and that's specifically mentioned in Hebrews as a picture, right? The right. blood of goats and bulls isn't sufficient, but the blood of Christ is sufficient to cover our sins. We're going to grab that verse in chapter 10. 10 yeah. yeah. Uh, for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, Make perfect those who draw near. All right. So, yeah, that verse um, says that uh, it's not the form of things to come. It's just a picture of that, the, the form. It just reminded me of what we preached recently in 1 Corinthians 1. By his... Sorry. No, chapter 1. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. By his doing... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Yep. So Jesus has become to us what the law couldn't be. Righteousness and sanctification. Yep. Perfect righteousness and perfect wisdom, not the wisdom of man. Yeah, Melissa. Colossians 2, 16 and 17 says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to Amen. He is a substance. And what did it say right before that in 15? Right before it said, therefore. Amen. And his death, burial, and resurrection. Awesome. So you just said that Paul saw always Not always often. But they do because Jesus fulfills all that stuff. What would the purpose be if they accepted that? They have to stop short yeah. so that they can perpetuate the. the They're demons. inconsistent. That's maybe that's a better yeah, way. That but yeah, for that. And I mean, if you, if you go to Christ, then yeah, then none of us are necessary. Huh. We are Christ. And that's why the cross is downplayed yeah. so often. Right. And the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I think we can often take that and we can apply that to the staunch atheist who says, there is no God, I hate God. Wait, what? There's no God, we hate him. Um, we'll apply that to that kind of person, that kind of worldview. But we fall short of applying that to other false religions. But they, they hate God just as much. Um, they are suppressing the truth in their heart just as much as the staunch atheist. And the cross truly is foolishness to them unless they humble themselves and submit themselves to, to God. Other thoughts or questions? All right. So we looked at Christophanies and types. Let's check out some prophecies of these Old Testament. Uh, prophecies of foretold truth about the coming Messiah. God spoke through prophets to give details of Christ. Scholars debate the number of Messianic prophecies in Scripture as low as 40 and as high as 365. Um, yeah, again, I think often people will stretch it to get to 365. 
um, God doesn't need our help to be glorified, right? He is glorious enough without us making that stretch to say, oh yes, that's, that's Jesus right there. All right, let's check out some of these prophecies. Um, see if we can give you this up. Who's going to grab Genesis 3? All right, Walker, Deuteronomy. I love Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy's good. <laughs> um, let's skip over the Psalms for now. Um, we'll get those first two verses in Isaiah. Maybe summarize Isaiah 53. Who can grab those two Christmas verses? All right. Uh, Jeremiah 31. And then... Yeah, do Jeremiah 31, 15. Who's got that one? I do. I Jim? Oh, Jim, Jim, you can grab Hosea 11, 1. Um, and... Yeah, Michael 5. Yeah, well, who's got Michael 5, too? The other Christmas one. Andy? All right. Sounds cool. I'll go to Zechariah. We'll pick and choose a couple. All right. Genesis 3.15. Who can grab that for us? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and I will put en- enmity. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and childbirth. In him you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. All right, our very first messianic prophecy, um, talking about Jesus and his feud with Satan. Um, that's a good one to remember. Genesis three fifteen, Deuteronomy eighteen. You got that, Jeremy? Moses said, "The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, and from your countrymen you shall listen to him." All right, so. Uh, prophet will be raised up like Moses. Um, And that passage didn't say um, better or I'm losing my my thought. No? But there is one in Deuteronomy, right? A more important or second? Is that all it is? Acts 3, they do it again. Is that Acts 3? Where they were all right i'm doing the same thing i'm making stuff up right and in the scripture for some reason that was in my fallen mind yeah i do need to be careful thank you all right um psalm 2 what is psalm 2 about why do the nations rage and the kings of the earth take their stand against the lord is anointed one. Yeah. So, anointed one, what does that word mean? We looked at that two weeks ago. Yeah, Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, right? And the nations rage, they take their stand against them, against him. So we see in that psalm um, the, the wickedness of man and the, the death of Christ foreshadowed, um, prophesied that he is going to to lay down his life. Kiss the sun lest you perish. Whew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lest he be angry in his wrath. Mm-hmm. Get some repentance in there as well, right? Um, what about Psalm 22? That's a popular one. Mm-hmm. 
Anybody know what Psalm 22 is about? That goes through in pretty great detail about the crucifixion. Everybody turn to Psalm 22 real quick and just glance through there and let's see what what prophecies we can see. What's that? Bones are out of joint. There's one. Yeah. It's what Jesus says when he dies. Ramos and Yeah. Attaboy. <laughs> Anything else you guys see in Psalm 22? Pointing to Jesus? And the song of praise. It says, I cry in English in the song of praise. Yeah. It pierced my hands and my feet, I can count all my bones. It divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Yeah, that's quite specific, right? Pretty specific. This was several centuries before they invented crucifixion. Oh, crucifixion wasn't even around. So to pierce my, my hands and my feet, that, that's weird, right? But not if it's a prophecy about Christ. Not if it's written by the God who is outside of time, who knows all things. And that's happening right now, right? I'm just talking about that back to Psalm 2 yeah, so some of this is still, yeah, future. All the nations haven't come to, to recognize Christ as king. They're not bowing down. They're not um, submitting to his, his lordship, his kingship. But one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so uh, that can get tricky, too, sometimes, trying to uh, divide, to properly divide the, the word of truth and figure out, is this going on right now? Because some people will say that that's going on right now. Um, we're not some of those people. Um, we think that's still yet future. And while there is a, an aspect of Christ's kingdom here on the earth right now that we recognize him as king, that he is ruling in our hearts, in the hearts of his bride, the church, um, our world is still in, in a wicked place, right? Mm. Satan is still the prince of the power of the air. He still has dominion, and sin is rampant. But one day, that's going to change. All right. Um, Isaiah or Jeremiah 31 15 before you do that I'm going to read Matthew 2 well yeah read Jeremiah first and then I'll read Matthew 2 thus says the Lord a word a voice is heard in Ramah lamentation and bitter weeping Rachel is weeping for her children she refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more all right Anything stick out to you guys in the reading of that? I know it was kind of hard if you're not sitting there looking at it. I want you to read it for us one more time, Jerry, and see what you guys can pick out of that, that verse. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Rama, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. How does that, how is that a messianic prophecy? Well, because it, 
is quoted by Matthew. <laughs> yes, that's true. It's, it's a prophecy of beforehand of Herod going and killing all of these boys in Who doesn't say was weeping in that verse? Did you catch that? Rachel. Rachel. And where was it going to take place? A verse, a voice heard in Ramah. Ramah was the region that Benjamin was in. Remember how the 12 tribes were given a different allotment of land? Um, Ramah was the region that Benjamin was in. And Benjamin was the son of Rachel, right? Um, and so this, like many other prophecies, has both a near and a far fulfillment. And so I think it's pointing, first of all, to uh, the, the Assyrian captivity in 722 coming in and overtaking the, the northern kingdom, that whole region. And Rachel's going to cry out and weep. But then, as you said, we know that it's a messianic prophecy, not necessarily because of what it says in that verse, um, but because Matthew, being directed by the Holy Spirit, wrote it and quoted it and applied it to Christ. So here in Matthew 2, I'm going to read from verses 16 through 18. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. Then it was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. And so initially we wouldn't have recognized that as a messianic prophecy, but Matthew said that's what was important. Herod was killing all the children because he was trying to kill Jesus. Yes. But he didn't know which part Jesus yeah, was from. Remember, Magic came and they said, yeah, he was born in Bethlehem. And he said, okay, we'll bring him back here so I can worship him. Right? Wing, wing. So he didn't kill because he wanted to be a king. Yeah, worship him with a sword. Um, and they, they were warned not to by an angel. And so they didn't go back. They went back a different way and they were in hiding for some time. And so in his spite and jealousy, he had all the, the male children, two years old and under, killed. And obviously Jesus escaped that because he's God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who's got Hosea 11 1? Speaking. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Again, uh, near and a far fulfillment. Um, not directly applied to Christ until Matthew 2. So here I'll read Matthew 2 14 and 15. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. So again, we know that it's a prophecy of Jesus because we're told specifically it's a prophecy. We're told this was a fulfillment of what Isaiah said. And how we get to this number 365 is by making stretches where it doesn't necessarily say this is a fulfillment of prophecy, um, but to 
use our, our human thinking and, and draw lines and try to connect dots. And sometimes it's pretty compelling, but um, that's probably a, a little bit of a high number. All right, who's got Micah 5-2? Yeah. All right. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. All right. Good verse for eternity, right? And pre-existence. His days of going, what is it? Of going forth or from long ago? From eternity. All right. Um, yeah, that's... Um, Logan, you had those Isaiah verses, right? Yep, 714. Therefore yep. the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. All right. What a prophecy. Mm-hmm. Remember, Emmanuel means what? God with us. Um, born of a virgin. Born under the law. That's pretty cool. And Isaiah 9, 6. Six for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All right, and again, I think much of that is still future, where he's going to be. Um, the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, um, Prince of Peace. I think that's still yet to come. Uh, Isaiah 53, uh, probably no more clear prophecy about Christ than Isaiah 53. Great verse to show to uh, Jews. A lot of Jews don't even know that chapter exists. Um, it's called the fifth gospel sometimes because it's so clearly talking about Jesus and pointing to the fact that he is God. Again, years before crucifixion was even invented, um, documented uh, 700 years before the coming of Christ. What do I mean by coming of Christ again? Incarnation. Incarnation. All right. Uh, Real quickly, let's look at just a few verses in Zechariah. Zechariah 12, verse 10. It says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him, like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. So that's talking about the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Again, that hasn't taken place yet. Uh, Israel hasn't turned to their Messiah and wept over him. That's still future. But the fact that he was going to be pierced, um, that has taken place, right? And so reading this for a Jew, I don't think, or for anybody back in that time, I don't think they would see the two different time spans. But we are in a, a privileged place in history where we can see the aspects of this verse that apply to history and the aspects that apply to uh, future historical events. Um, let's look at the first three verses of chapter 13. In that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for impurity. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land and they will no longer be remembered. And I will remove the prophets and the unclean spirit from the land. And if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who gave birth to him will say to him, you shall not live for you have spoken falsely in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who gave birth to him will pierce him through when he prophesies. Um, again, I think that's still 
yet to come, where people have such a, a fear for the Lord and a fervency for worshiping Him that they won't put up with any kind of false prophecy, even from among their own children. All right. Um, 14 is his favorite. I was going to skip it. Um, let's look at the first few verses of chapter 14. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, and houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. And when he fights, as when he fights on a day of battle. And that day his people stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley. So that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. Remember in Acts 1, uh, that... The angel said, what are you guys looking at? He's going to come back in the very same way that he went up. Um, he's going to come back on the Mount of Olives. He's going to come back with power and authority, um, not as a suffering servant, but as a reigning king. And he's going to set things straight and put sin in his place. It's going to be a scary day for me. It's 1030. All right, real quick, uh, think on these questions. How can you explain the importance of the Old Testament to someone who doesn't understand why they should read it. Um, remember, it's pointing towards Christ. He is the, the one central theme of the Bible. Um, and he's seen clearly in the Old Testament, not nearly as clearly as the New Testament, but it points towards him. What position should Jesus hold in your life? In what areas? Um, he is the preeminent one, right? How do you answer the question, who is Jesus Christ? Anybody? Who is Jesus Christ? God. He is God. He is the one God who made flesh, who suffered and died for our sins, who lived the law perfectly in obedience to the Father to make justification for us, right? Um, justification available for us by offering propitiation, a satisfactory payment to the Father. All right. Um, go and fellowship and remember this. Jeremy's got something for you. So. I printed off two things. There are two sheets here that you guys can grab all the set of in front of Andy. The first sheet is a, a list of titles of Jesus, a whole bunch. Some that refer to the and some that is humanity. And the second page is all about the angel of the Lord, explaining why the angel of the Lord is Jesus. And <coughs> why the angel of the Lord is Jesus. And then there's also a book here that you can flip through. I haven't read it yet, so it's kind of dangerous to <laughs> But Cody Bachman works it, so that's the guy's name. And it's all about the angel of the Lord, so you can come through that if you want. Okay.